where we all are again now my friends at this point hopefully you will be after a lovely midsummer's weekend you may like sean donnelly have been out in the archipelago with your tent and your blow-up mattress celebrating you may have been down in the park in hoga parkin or tanto london you may have been enjoying the white nights above in lulio or you may have been enjoying things out in hissing and in, in gothenburg or why not down around the Öresund Bridge in Malmö? Uh, we have passed the longest day of the year. Always a little bit of a sad time, but it means for the next couple of months at least that uh, Sweden takes its foot off the gas as we head into the summer. Um, when I moved here 23 years ago, it was the 8th of June, 23 years ago, and uh, last week, of course, I was talking to Ian Maloney, uh, the Irish musician whose book Bastard Boy is out now on Amazon. And I came over, and in the beginning I thought I'd play in the pubs over here because I'd played a lot of music in my time. And uh, John Higgins had said to me, the, the agent of Blackwater Music at the time, was saying, oh, but there's no gigs now. And I was thinking, jeez, I should have come over two months later because, you know, coming over at the start of the summer, I thought that'd be great. Like, you know, it'd be like Temple Bar where the summer season would be swinging, but it was the other way around. So if you're new to the scene here in Sweden, ladies and gentlemen, you will see your towns and your villages and your cities and your workplaces empty and out now for about the next six or eight weeks. It'll be damn near impossible to get anything done. And anybody doing something will be doing so at the pace of a slot in a children's Disney movie. So uh, don't expect to get out and done here. But in another way, it's a nice thing to have. It's nice to take your foot off the gas and to smell the flowers while you can and enjoy the Swedish summer. Um, Again, I know I've, I've sort of set up a few conversations with a few people. So, you know, I keep saying, oh, I might take a break during the summer. And there may be a week or two here or there where there isn't a podcast. But, uh, and I'm going to be in, in England working because, of course, uh, I never take a break. But um, I'll be trying to bring you podcasts during the summer. I might, it might be that, you know, we take a few highlights of the old shows, repackage some of the interviews again and throw them out there. You know, the ones that I enjoyed most or maybe that you enjoyed most that you told me you enjoyed. Uh, but this week, um, it's an interesting one because, you know, I use, still trying to work out what you want, right? Because I'm using social media, but every day or every Monday when this is published, it goes to LinkedIn and it goes to Instagram, I think, and it goes to the Facebook page and that. And I don't get a whole lot of feedback, which means that the people who are listening to it are enjoying it or that kind of thing. Or, you know, sometimes I send a message to somebody and say, oh, you know, I have this podcast for the Ocean Sweden, I'd love to have you on it. They go, yeah, I know, I listen every week. And yet they've never said that to me or anything else like that. Now, it's not, I'm not going around the place going, tell me I'm great or tell me you enjoy the podcast or anything. But it's just, when there's, it's kind of hard to know So at some point when there's uh, little feedback. So I'll just keep plugging away with the uh, with the guests and the people and the ideas that we have because you appear to be enjoying it. Remember, it is a community-supported podcast, right? So if you can contribute, patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm is the way to go. So a monthly contribution of around about five euros there, about 50 crowns. But we'll barely even get you a coffee at Orlando uh, in, when you're standing in the queue there at the moment but it will get you podcast after podcast after podcast at least four a month from Irish and Sweden uh, our man in Stockholm is picking up pace again and there'll be more Premier Swedes podcasts to come throughout the rest of the year plus another podcast which will be launching after the summer so if you can support it there that would be brilliant uh, and needless to say just as I say that um, you can also switch the show on 123 2424 that's 123 right um, I'll obviously keep going as long as I can so eventually a point will come where I'm just not going to have the time to do these things if it's not sort of paying for itself so the more people can contribute the better uh, 50 crowns a month is very little for many people who have good jobs or you all know who you are uh, but it makes a huge difference to me the more people who can pay that in the better the, the easier it is for me to find the time and the resources and the effort to do this um, I was mentioning about social media there and social media is one of those things that you know some people find it very positive, some people find it very negative, some people use it as a platform to be either positive or negative, or sometimes both, but it's, you know, it's still a great way, undeniably Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram are great ways to keep in touch with the community here, and uh, that's what I've done, and in particular when it comes to the Irish Chamber of Commerce and to, uh, you know, the business end of things, Enterprise Ireland, Board B, Tourism Ireland, and seeing what's going on, what companies are looking to establish themselves here, what companies are having success here, and what people are doing, because, you know, the stories essentially of companies are really the stories of people and their ideas. And the stories of people's careers here are something that they're just fascinating to me because in a way, like with Ian Maloney last week and like with Niall Balfe, we have an awful lot in common on one level, but there are also things in our experiences that are different that we can learn from one another. So I was on LinkedIn recently 
and I saw Marjorie Sundstrom uh, well, had been at Cornell University in America and I was going, Jesus, I have to check that out and see what what Marjorie's up to. And she made a post about sort of her first summer job, which was in a restaurant back in Ireland, uh, back a good, oh, it must be 10, 15, 16 years ago at this stage, when Marjorie, as a, as a teenager, was looking for her first job and she got stuck into the hospitality industry. Now, she's gone from getting shouted at in her first job in a restaurant in Ireland to being sales manager at the Marriott Courtyard Hotel here, just in Kung's Holman, uh, actually not too far from where my little studio is here, uh, which to me is an amazing journey. And she went there via the Grand Hotel, right? Probably one of, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the finest luxury hotels in all of Europe, not just in Sweden, right? This place has a reputation down there by the water, a view of the, of the Royal Palace and the Parliament and everything. It's a magnificent place, right? Unless I win the lottery, I doubt there's any chance that I'll be staying there, you know? But uh, so I wanted to catch up with her because we pride ourselves on our hospitality as Irish people and uh, like our tourism industry is obviously very important to us. But here's a woman who's left Ireland and come over here to Sweden and done her thing. And she's an amazingly successful woman, amazingly intelligent, uh, extremely driven. And just one of those people who doesn't sit in her hands waiting for something to happen. She's the kind of person who makes things happen. So I thought it would be nice to pop by. So yesterday morning, I went down to meet her at the Marriott Hotel and we sat in one of the conference rooms. And once again, as was the case with uh, metal guru Alan McCaggy again, uh, the microphones let me down, it was sort of a buzzle thing, but Alan McCaggy stepped in, wonderful gent that he is with his degree in music technology, and fixed this sound file for me, right? So any problems you hear with the sound file, they're entirely down to me and my equipment, but I'm hugely grateful to Alan for rescuing this and for making this listenable. So uh, here's a chat with Marjorie Sundstrom, and uh, she's the only guest this week because she had plenty to say and all of it was interesting. But I'll be back afterwards just to round it up and see if I've discovered anything more that I can tell you about the summer. So here's she is, Marjorie. Marjorie Sunslow, tell me about your domain here on <laughs> Kung's Holman that we're sitting in at the moment. Where are we? Um, yeah, so we're, we're si- sitting here at the courtyard by Marriott in Kungsholmen, and mm-hmm. um, obviously one uh, one of the many eight thousand hotels at Marriott International. And we've got three uh, Marriott hotels here in uh, in Sweden, all located in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. And the courtyard here was the first one that opened in twenty ten. And if you don't include Sheraton, that was part of Starwood at the time, they opened up in the 70s. So quite a historical building. (laughs) So there is a big sort of move around, you know, hotels getting bought by one chain, moved Mm -hmm. on to another chain and that kind of... Uh, as we were down the way into the room here, you were saying that, you know, it's starting to get quiet now because the beginning of June, this is very much a conference hotel, right? Mm-hmm. So what kind of guests would you have here? What kind of things would you offer them? Um, well, we've got 12 conference spaces here, uh, so, and it's all located on the second floor, so it's super flexible. And then we have one conference space up on the third floor, which the Swedish Irish Society have had their Lovely Christmas people. dinner there. <laughs> Great support when I started here now in Was he the biggest pain in the arse of a cousin we've ever had? No, of course not. <laughs> I was just thinking, these roast potatoes I adored properly. <laughs> was it very difficult to get that menu sorted out for them? No, we always do a traditional turkey dinner here because we're Marriott, so we always do the American You're turkey. looking for the international yes, vibe. Yeah, so as soon as I heard that, I got on the phone to Carmel <laughs> to just tell her that there was a turkey dinner here waiting for them. Fantastic. Yeah. That was one of the things we missed because this podcast was only sort of starting last Christmas, you know, and I was out looking for a place that we're doing. I didn't know you were doing it. But by Jesus, we'll be back here in December. Yeah. But at the moment now, it's June. You were saying it's sort Mm -hmm. of starting to calm down. Mm -hmm. Post-pandemic, what's the hotel business like? Because obviously when nobody was traveling or that kind of thing, it was kind of a disaster for you. You're Mm -hmm. uh, involved in sales here. How do you get through that? Yeah. Um, Well, at the time, back in 2020, uh, we don't want to go back and think about it, but uh, yeah. I was uh, working at the Sparrow Hotel, actually, which is uh, part of the Grand Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's Grand Hotel's new boutique hotel that just opened in 2019. Uh, boutique for the uninitiated means really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> usually means small. We had 88 rooms. <laughs> it's usually under 100 rooms is a boutique hotel. Is that right, Jeff? Yes. Plus the expensive. <laughs> so small and expensive, <laughs> Let's just, we have to roll back the yeah. tape here because one of the things that I was looking at, I think it was, mm-hmm. I think it was on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and you were mentioning how you got started in this mm-hmm. business, right? Mm-hmm. And it struck a chord with me because at 16, I worked for Jewelry's Hotel in Ballsbridge in Dublin, and that was actually where I thought it was going to end up because it's a very sociable job working in hotels, etc. Mm-hmm. Like now, 
the reality is very really different when you get there. How did you get your start in uh, hospitality and the hotel business? Um, well, I started off first just looking for a summer job. Um, I was yeah, about 16, 17 when you're old enough to get a job basically mm. in Ireland. Um, I got a, a job as a waitress in a local restaurant at mm-hmm. home. Um, and uh, I remember sitting in the interview and the, the woman saying, or the manager saying to me, uh, have you got common sense? She was just so... And you went, no. No, she, she was so like thick of these young ones coming into the, to the industry and not knowing at all. And they thought that they were, they were, yeah. the jeans like. Torn up and they were going to make a fortune and they yeah. wouldn't have to do any work whatsoever. Yeah. So, geez, did you run the place by Friday? Like, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So I was like, of course I do. Yeah. And um, I remember the first night just, you know, got stuck in, thrown into the deep end and uh, standing there in the kitchen trying to read a check of where the, where this ice cream was supposed to be going to, uh, which table it was supposed to be going to. I didn't have a clue. It was just like loads of numbers all over the place. Mm. Didn't know what was happening. The manager came in, started shouting at me, I thought you said you had common sense. Cheat the first night. Yeah. That's harsh. <laughs> so I stayed on. Uh, you know, it was just kind of the way it was. I, I accepted, oh, yeah, you know, you're always going to get a boss like that kind of thing. Uh, we had great crack with the team. We were all teenagers looking for a summer job. Mm. But it was a summer job, and I went back and uh, went back to school and never went back to that place again. Mm. The year after, I went to the K Club um, because I, I come from Stratham and Kildare, so it was super close. I'd also heard from some friends that it was a fancy place, so you'd get some good tips there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I went there um, and started off as a banking waitress. And that, again, was really tough. I mean, working long hours there. Mm-hmm. Well, we had two managers there who were, who were just really supportive. Um, again, we were a team of you know, young teenagers just looking for an extra, extra bit of money for the summertime to go on holidays. Um, and... Uh, they really just kind of got the team to work well together. No matter how busy it got, we just, we jumped in, we helped out one another. If you saw one table needed, you know, topping up a water or whatever, you just jumped in and helped, helped out no matter what. Mm. And then, you know, Irish weddings, they go on to three, four o'clock in the morning, something like that. Are you aware of the concert? Yeah, <laughs> I do remember trying to get the last guest out after a sing song. And then somebody uses the two yeah. words we never want to hear, resident bar. You're standing there with your two bowls of ice cream. You don't know what yeah. table it is. Yeah. You're getting the hairdryer treatment yeah. from somebody who yeah. says, I thought you had common sense. Yeah. Did you ever think, I'm just going to get me coat and leave this? Or did you sort of go, okay, I have to get through this? Uh, yeah, no, I did think I had to get through it. I come from a family business and my mum and dad always taught me that I had to, had to work hard to get anywhere in life, yeah. really. Um, so... I think that is kind of the change, the shift that we've seen. It was a long time ago since I was 16 years old. And we kind of accepted in our generation that that's the way things are. You know, mm. you're going to get a boss that's going to treat you like that. And and you just get on with it kind of thing and, and try to have fun. And, you know, the team, we worked together really well together because we hated the boss, <laughs> which was just... <laughs> it's great to have something yeah. to gather around, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> That's kind of a bad work culture. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. But that's the thing. These days, the next generation of, of uh, talent that are coming into hospitality, they don't take that. No. And they do just up and leave on the day, on the spot even. Could be gone. Um, so that's what, what we're seeing now post-pandemic is that there's a huge crisis in our it's still in our industry of uh, trying to find new talent mm. uh, because during the pandemic, people have left um, the industry. They've retrained. They've gone into another industry where they get treated much better. Mm. Um, and then uh, we're, we're not getting the interest from the new talent coming in. So yeah. some hotel schools here were even saying that they're thinking about pulling the course because they don't have enough students. Mm. And one of the things I've seen, I've seen this argument made, well, you know, if you just pay people mm. better, they'll do it because... It seems to me that working in hotels and hospitality in general, it's partly a job, but it's also a vocation. You mm. have to have that common sense that you talked about, about topping up the water, about seeing what happens before it happens, mm. about seeing there's somebody who's looking for a waiter or a waitress, but they don't want to snap their fingers because mm. they'll punch them in the face. Like, um, What can you do as an industry to sort of attract these young people again? Because, uh, like you say, it's a great job when you're, you know, for young people, for sociable people, yeah. you work mm. with great people, you have great experiences, Most most of which we can't talk about on this podcast, right? <laughs> but it is actually, so what's it going to take to get them back, do you think? 
Um, well, I think it's showing, um, uh, reaching out to the next generation, even in you know high schools, and before you start to think about your career, mm. getting people involved in the industry. Um, I know a lot of um, places have started doing just like skills courses for, mm. for students in, in schools, and um, not actually university students, but that they can learn how to do a cappuccino, for example, yeah. or uh, espresso, so that they have those skills to get a job when they come into the summer and then they get interested in the industry. Yeah. Um, plus, like to, to show, you know, I post a lot on LinkedIn as well about um, my job and how, you know, what, what I do in the industry to ins- hopefully inspire others and um, to get into the industry. Um, you know, I travel the world, uh, selling Stockholm as a destination. Um, and you get to meet the most amazing people mm. here in the hotel, uh, in operations. These guys meet people from all over the world and get to know their stories as well. So mm. I think that that's, that's what we have to go back to is, you know, why, why do we work in hospitality? Mm. Um, and, also looking at the new talent, new next generation and listening to what they're looking for mm. now. Um, okay, so they're not going to take a bad work culture or a mm. bad manager at the moment, or, or uh, they're not going to, they're just going to leave on the spot. Mm. But, uh, okay, so what are we doing wrong here? Because mm. a bad, you know, poor management and poor leadership that that's not going to fly anyway. It's just simply no. not sustainable. Um, so we need to look back at that and see how can we change our leadership in hospitality. And there's been a lot of a lot of research done at the moment, a lot of writing on the new new way of leading hospitality, mm. not having this kind of hierarch, hierarchy uh, anymore. Of you know having your GM at the top mm. who sits in their office with a closed door and just tells everybody what to do. Instead, the GM is walking the floor and listening to all of the staff and getting all the ideas like here at the courtyard. Mm. Um, our GM here, uh, Lisa, has been an absolute inspiration and I've only been working here since September. Do you know the interesting thing, yeah. uh, Marjorie, is and this is, I work at a number of hotels and restaurants and pubs and, and not only in Ireland but elsewhere, right? And exactly as you say there, the, the managers I remember from those places, whose names I remember, were the people who tried to make me better at what I did and yeah. they showed an interest. And the ones I didn't like, I can barely remember their names. Yeah. Like, you know, they just sort of passed through. It was like, that guy's a dick or that yeah. girl. I didn't like her at yeah. all, you know? And it really is a difference because, you know, you're talking about, it's not just somewhere you go from 7 to 3 or 3 to 11 or 11 to mm-hmm. 7 in the morning or mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And at some point, you went from being a teenager looking for a summer job, hanging mm-hmm. out with fun people and doing mad things mm-hmm. just to get money and mm-hmm. going for a drink and for, And you decided, okay, I'm going to make a career out of this. Can you remember at what point you decided, okay, this is what I want to do for the, you know, for the rest of my life, so to speak? <laughs> It was at the K Club. It was doing these amazing events. We had great, right. you know, it was, you know, before the recessions, it was good times with Celtic Tiger. Helicopters coming in. You know, corporate events, luxury weddings. Mm. Um, we did the Ryder Cup in 2006 as well. Mm. Um, and that's really when I, when I got, you know, I caught the bulls of the hospitality, you know, having an event and everybody just kicking together. Yeah. That's what I wanted to, to get into. Um, and that, uh, that I spoke with the GM there, um, Michael Davern, and he was uh, from Shannon College, mm-hmm. and so that's where I, I looked for them. Then, yeah, went for Shannon College, a hotel management, and studied uh, international hotel management there. When you're studying hotel management, yeah. Jesus, back in the day, was the Kalini Court used to do one of these sort of live-in things, you yeah. know, where they beat the living daylights out of it for three years, and then you're a, you're a manager at the end of it. Or you could go to various different catering colleges or like mm-hmm. Shannon College. Mm-hmm. What was your education like? Was it a lot, a lot of, you know, your nose and your books and your Excel sheets, or was it right, get out there and get that cappuccino right? Yeah, it was a mixture of both, actually. In the first year, you had to do all the subjects, a bit like in secondary school as well. You do yeah. all your subjects in first year, and then you kind of choose how you want to specialise. Um, so in the first year we did like practical subjects as well. We had a restaurant, um, oh, they still do have the restaurant there that the students run. Yeah. So every lunchtime, it's always the students that are in the kitchen that are making the lunch yeah. and the students that are out uh, serving in the restaurant as well. Um, then you'd have, you know, special guests coming in and you'd have to do the VIP service and do this, all the silver service and everything like yeah. that. So there's a lot of the practical skills. Um, we have the the hotel right beside Shannon as well. Uh, I think it's called the Best Western, unless they've changed names now. Mm. Um, but that was actually originally the purpose of Shannon College was the hotel built the, the school yeah. to train their staff there. 
Um, and that now we, it's the other way around, the hotel school is using the, ho- uh, the hotel to give practical use for their students. And well. So we went around to housekeeping, uh, learned front office, we were all given, you know, um, fake hotels to run. Wow. <laughs> uh, so that's the kind of the, the beauty of hospitality as well. You have to kind of learn the business and the, you know, all the accounting and the finance and the theory and the marketing and, you know, it's such a broad industry. Um, then you go, then you learn like the operations and at the same time, you do also have to have, uh, you know, a part-time job. I definitely recommend that for, for anyone coming into the industry to make sure that you, okay, this is a situation in a hotel school where it's, you know, you're learning, you're given mm. time to learn and, Mistakes don't yeah, cost anybody exactly, anything. Like. To get your Irish coffees just right mm. and everything like that. But when you've got a guest in front of you <laughs> who's paid a lot of money to maybe stay at this hotel, yeah. there some of them could be, you know, very demanding as well and you're under a lot of pressure. So it's having that that balance um is uh, definitely something that's that's so unique in hospitality. I mean we're we're people serving people at the end of the day. Yeah. I remember being horrified when I moved to Sweden and I was working in a little place at Mashed near Orlando and somebody asked me for an Irish coffee and I went into the kitchen and I whipped the cream and I came back out and the owner saw me do this, you know, I said, that's fantastic, I said, but the time it takes you to do that, I'm not making any money on that. Yeah. Get that fucking can and put that cream in the door. I was going, I can't. Oh, They'll yeah. take my passport back if I do that. Yes, like, you know? Exactly, yeah. So, but um, in terms of, like, that, it sounds like a very sort of hands on, practical mm-hmm. thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of that, then, in terms of the international aspect of it, because mm-hmm. I don't figure that you would like to be running a bed and breakfast somewhere near the K Club just for a few golfers coming <laughs> out. You like this big international aspect of it, right? I do, yeah. What's um, the big difference, would you say? Is it that, you know, you're dealing with people from, because even if you have a bed and breakfast you're still dealing with people from all over the world yeah. but is it scales what does it appeal to you um i think it is the scale and i think it's the diversity of it all as well i mean um you know i've worked at, at the at the grand which is also a huge international hotel then i worked at the sparrow which is only a little boutique hotel and mm-hmm. um, the lead was only 46 rooms as well yeah. um I like the diversity that you can you know focus really focus on your local market the local community mm-hmm which was, you know, only a strength during the pandemic because they were the only ones yeah. who could travel. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that I actually got a lot from at the, at the K-Club as well, um, is learning to be you know, part of that community. They've got the local pub even now mm. in Strathan um, to kind of build that local local market and then build it from there, mm. uh, you know, looking at maybe Stockholm, Sweden, and then Nordics and then, you know, Going out to, you know, I looked up to the luxury market in the US and, and in China as well as a new market for the grand. And mm. um, so, yeah, it's just looking at those different markets and seeing the differences um, with the different cultures and nationalities. I think that, yeah, I love hearing people's stories. Mm. Uh, what was it that brought you to Sweden after all this experience and all this education and mm. that, and you wind up over here uh, at the grand and at the Marriott? Mm. How, how did you get here? Um, my husband's Swedish. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you heard that a lot. <laughs> it's, it's literally, I'm just going to put it into every podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, I met this Swede. <laughs> but did you yes. meet over there in Ireland, you did? Yes. Was he a satisfied guest at the K-Club, perhaps? No, no? he was not. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> he was a dissatisfied guest at the K-Club. <laughs> no, actually, um, he had just moved to Ireland and it was his first night out in Dublin. He was warned by his friends in Sweden not to come home with a redhead. Uh, and uh, he ended up meeting a redhead on his first night out. <laughs> I mean, that man, like, you know, get that man buying me lottery tickets. <laughs> he won the lottery there. But, um, yeah, we we didn't think we'd uh, see each other again. We just met in a club, you know. Um, it was called Q Bar at the time, just under, underneath the Heineken building. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that, yeah. Mm-hmm. God, that's had a few names down through the years. Yes, right, exactly, yeah. yeah. Probably the other poor management, but we leave that aside. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, uh, yeah, just about to start uh, in Shannon mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, so I was only only 18 and not really looking for any serious relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, never thought so I'd So he wasn't looking for a redhead, and again. you weren't looking for a relationship. No. And here you are in Sweden. Yeah, but a few days later, he called me, and I was like, did I give him the right number? <laughs> Why did I do that? Which I didn't. <laughs> he actually uh, tried a few different combinations because I'd missed a number. Jesus, he's persistent at least. Yeah. He was. <laughs> and yeah, we ended up 
he was in Dublin. I was in Shannon was, uh, studying at the time. Mm. Uh, he was in Dublin in IBM, which there's an awful lot of Swedes there. Yeah. Uh, still, even today, when I meet some Swedes, they're like, oh, yeah, I used to work in IBM. <laughs> no way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, we were seeing each other. It was time for me to go on my placement. Then uh, uh, Shannon has like a one year work placement for mm-hmm. their second year. Yeah. So I went to Austria. He said he'd stay in Ireland for me. But then... 2007, 2008, recession hit Ireland. Yep. So it's time for him to get back to Sweden. Um, he moved back to Sweden. I moved back to Ireland. Obviously, finished uh, uh, my studies at, at Shannon, um, and then went on uh, to work in the UK for my final year placement. So we were doing long distance all this time, <laughs> and then we, uh, yeah, I was working in Manchester. Went down to um, uh, London Heathrow, working at a hotel there. Yeah. And uh, then I decided that it was kind of the next step in my in my career. I was looking at a few different hotels around the world where I was going to go, and I was talking to my mum, and she was like, "Maybe it's time for you to go to Sweden." Your mother said that. Yeah. Good lord. Yes. But <laughs> well, how? If you don't mind me asking, Marjorie, because if it's a personal question, mm-hmm. you feel free not to answer. But how difficult was that? Because. You kind of only just met when you moved down to Shannon, mm-hmm. and then you're trying to sort of conduct this long distance relationship over what are kind of the key foundation years between. Was that something that suited the two of you? Did it make it easier or did it make it more difficult, do you think? Um, I think at the time, because I was like only 18 and I wanted to enjoy my life and not settle down with anyone, I think yeah. long distance was good in that way because I could still, you know, both of us still had the freedom to, to be out, to and, about be and, out and about and explore and everything mm-hmm. like that. So, um, but it was tough. It was very tough. We missed each other an awful lot. And, you know, at least there was still Skype and Ryanair, very cheap flights as mm-hmm. well. I'd say our carbon footprint was not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, that was that was the time. Uh, you know, you just hop on a cheap flight and go over for the weekend or something like that. And yeah. at, actually, I had a flight booked for midsummer 2012. And it was you know, April um, uh, before then that I, I kind of thought, oh, maybe I won't go back this time. So I just went over for midsummer and uh, came back. And that was 10 years ago today. 10 years ago today? Yeah. Well, we have that in common. Today is 20 years ago today since I got married as well. Oh, really? So it's a great oh, day for love in Sweden. Like, the longest day of the year. Here. Yes. Um, how did you find, when you make that decision then, because you're going to, okay, I know it's international hotels and most people walking past or through this hotel today speak better English than you and me put together, right? <laughs> how did you find getting a start in the hotel business here? Because you have a really good education, but there's a language barrier, there's a culture barrier. How was that? Yeah, so I was working at uh, Sheraton Skyline at London Heathrow, which was part of Starwood Hotels, mm-hmm. now part of Marriott Hotels. And I reached out to the Sheraton here in Stockholm. Um, and asked, Is that the one down on Vossa Gotham? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Smack down by, yeah. uh, downtown. Um, and uh, I uh, talked to the HR manager there and was asking about some positions that are available there. And um, the first thing she said to me was, uh, you have to learn Swedish. Great. <laughs> Cheers. So I was like, right, okay. So I took uh, an online course, but Rosetta Stone. Yeah. Uh, and then about maybe six months later, I resent my CV to her in Swedish. Uh, in very bad Swedish. This is before I even moved to Sweden. That's now. <laughs> still fairly impressive, Marjorie. That's pretty good going right there. Um, but uh, yeah, so she... Uh, was pretty impressed and wanted to meet me then when I moved over um, but they didn't have any positions available at the time but then my Swedish was still really like really bad mm. but I pushed myself to make myself speak Swedish because often when you introduce yourself as Marjorie it's not the most Swedish name No. Um, so people would just automatically switch to English but I really like pushed myself to speak Swedish um, and then uh, yeah, it was midsummer and July, and in in July Stockholm shuts down, Damn. so it was really difficult to get any sort of meetings with anybody in the industry uh, mm. here, um, because either they were really busy or they were on holiday, um, and uh, I so I took an, um, a course with Focus University Edit, yep. which is the yeah, People's University it translates to, yep. uh, in the heart of Stockholm, and and two week intensive course in Swedish just to help with my grammar and all the mm. kind of formalities of Swedish. Mm. Um, How tough was that? Two weeks intensive. That sounds rough. It, it was very rough. 
Um, I took like they do this like language tests online when you're going to go into it, yeah. uh, and uh, I came up like as like B one or B two level. So I was like, okay, I'll go for it, go with that one. And when I arrived, I said I've been in Sweden for four weeks or something at the time. <laughs> the teacher was like, "You're in the wrong you know. class." <laughs> 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 That's lovely. You just turn over and say, yeah. oh, you don't yeah. belong yeah. here. Oh, cheers. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm in the right class. I took the test, and that's yeah. what level That's what I'm it at. said. Yeah. yeah. But then I, I did realize that, that was a, it was a push for me. <laughs> you a pair of armbands but going yeah. in the top. I was like, you're going to be underwater soon. <laughs> for two weeks. But, you know, I was determined, and I, and I got through it in the end. Yeah. Um, and then during that time, that HR manager from the Sheraton ended up uh, moving to the Grand Hotel, um, she was uh, working there and she still was thinking of me because uh, you know I'd obviously made an impression when I had learned Swedish and uh, we kept kept in touch a little bit but meanwhile I started you know just sending out my CV to a lot of HR managers just asking do you want to meet up for a fika mm. even if they didn't have a position available just building that network and just mm. listening to what the hospitality industry is like is like here in Sweden and you know how you know what skills they're looking for and what what's needed and how I can apply the, you know my strengths to that in, to this industry here mm. um, and in the so I had applied for a few jobs and then um, uh, P at the Grand gave me a call and uh, said that they have a, an opening in sales would you like to come for an interview so so the yeah. thing I find interesting about that one Adrian, is that she didn't say look at I have an opening in housekeeping right? yeah. while you're learning your Swedish mm. you can go and clean these rooms mm. or she didn't say go behind the bar there people speak English mm. she went it's a sort of a semi-management position already mm. it's like sales you know were you surprised by that? Did you feel extra pressure? <laughs> Would you? Yeah. Nobody was more well, surprised than me. I said I'd go for the interview, but I kind of thought that Grand Hotel, I'm not going to be starting a Grand. Like, yeah. uh, this is just a dream. Like, it's like uh, top of the charts. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I met I met with Pia, the HR manager, for a formal interview. Then I went to met the director of sales. Who I remember that interview. I'd like really focused on my Swedish vocabulary and like mm. notes for everything. Then he was Finnish and he wanted to take it in English. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and my English was so terrible because I'd prepared the whole thing in Swedish. <laughs> so you know all the Swedish terms for the balance sheet and everything else like this. And, uh, um, oh, and then after that, I had an interview with the general manager uh, to meet her as well. Mm. Um, and uh, in the end, I did get it the job uh, and I remember when uh, Pia called me and offered the job I was just like you're joking me this is this is not happening <laughs> what is the matter yeah. with you people like, yeah, <laughs> so, so started off there and I was, uh, it was September 2012 so I spent the whole summer basically getting that job building my network yeah, yeah. yeah. during that time I'd, is it that one of those things where you know were you burning through your savings were you sort of you know half depending on your, your partner at that time because that's one of those things that I struggled with when I came over here because needless to say idiot that I am I thought mm. Jesus this be no bother I get a job in no time mm. and like I say I arrived at the start of the summer so it took until like you know almost Christmas before I got anything stable going on were yeah. you in that same position like you know where you see your resources sort of ticking down or something has to happen here for you yeah. sharpish I was uh, lucky enough that my partner that I moved to uh, somebody who lived in Stockholm already yeah. uh, uh, he already had a, an apartment here, uh, so we didn't have to we didn't have to think about that anyway. You know, trying to find a place or anything like that. I know a lot of people struggle with that too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just kind of had to to plan that this was you know I was moving here. You know, the guys in London thought I was a bit crazy. They were like, oh, so where are you? Where are you working in in Stockholm? I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I gave up my job in London and was going to move to a totally different country with yeah. no job. So, yeah, you had to. You, of course, we had to think about that. And um, uh, I did also kind of. I was, suppose I was quite naive and thought that I'd land a job quite quite easily um, with my experience in London. And then I realised, oh, this is going to take a while. And <laughs> even like psychologically being at home and not having a job to go to and mm. you know when my husband went back to work he was on holiday at first and it was great you know summer holiday in oh, Stockholm. Around Stockholm yeah, yeah exactly then he went back to work and it was like a home oh what am I going to do now I'm yeah. not, you know this this sending out my CVs and not getting anything back and you know, it was really tough yeah. but um 
you just have to keep at it really to be honest with you you just have to be determined and and push your way forward did you ever question yeah. yourself did you ever think oh, of course Jesus, I did yeah maybe this is not for me yeah. you know on the phone to the mad egg this is not really working yeah, out yeah maybe I like might, might go to another industry or something like that but mm. um, I kind of felt that uh, no hotels is you know my passion that's mm. what I love um, and and luckily enough, it, it all worked out in the end. But I know a lot of people, do, you know, they're still post-pandemic now, still looking for jobs, trying to, uh, you know, maybe left the industry and coming back again or anything like that. And it's, you know, it's very, it is very tough um, psychologically as well. Is mm-hmm. Pia at the Grand Hotel the first person you send a Christmas card to every year? <laughs> Oh, but no, I am very grateful for for her believing in me. Mm. Um, that's the thing in hospitality, you know, when you get this, when you get new talent coming in, uh, there's all, quite often, as, as I say, you get some tough managers that just say, no, that's not the way we do. That's, you know, mm. We've always done it this way. We're not going to change, you know. And you, know, we taught you about common sense. And, yeah, just exactly. the later version yeah, of it, like, yeah, exactly. And it's those those managers that do believe in you and want to empower you to move up. Mm. They're they're the ones that really help our industry and yeah. strengthen our industry uh, at the end of the day as well. When P offered you that job, right, you're after going around three, four, five months without a pay packet coming in, that kind of thing, and you sit down to negotiate a contract and that kind of, I did this with yeah. a news agency that I remain nameless that I've worked for for 20 years now, but the first contract I had with them was terrible, right, because I was just happy to take absolutely anything. So they put this offer on the table and it nearly took your man's hand and all off him in uh, April 2002 it was. Yeah. Did you feel the same thing or did you kind of go, oh, hang on a second here, push back a little bit, go, oh, give me an extra couple of hundred crowns or a couple of thousand crowns? No, no. <laughs> I just that's shaking it. a head. Said an yeah, awful lot exactly. <laughs> I, was, I, I just took it because it was a job at the time, that's it. and I knew that it was going to get good experience uh, working at the Grand. Um, so it was just yeah, just take it. And you know, in Sweden, you have good good standards for holidays and things like that. Time off too. So. Um, yeah, I just took it and ran. Worked out fairly all right. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to sprinkle a little bit of stardust from the hotel business through the conversation there. You mentioned the K Club, the Ryder mm-hmm. Cup. In terms of the people that you meet, because the places that you've worked, the Grand Hotel, I remember being down outside the Sheraton. I don't know if it was you kicked me out of there trying to film Manchester United in like 2015 or something. All right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> that was me. not me. <laughs> the Red Devil kicking me out. With it. But, um, who are the kinds of guests that you may have bumped into uh, in your time? Um, well, I've bumped into plenty of guests, but uh, a high profile guest probably, but I don't recognise them. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a bold yeah. reader or a CEO or that kind of thing, no? No, but that's the thing. I just kind of, I don't really care who you are or where you come from. You're still going to get world class service. Yeah. And for, for, for me, I was you know, thinking about this, that like the, the guests that really stick in my head are the ones that I've just dreamt about coming to the Grand Hotel, for example. Yeah. And, you know, I, me- I remember uh, meeting a guy and um, uh, helping him pick the perfect room for his proposal. And oh, he was so nervous. And he had saved up all his money just to get this room. <laughs> oh, God, oh, I And, you know, I helped him out. I showed him around. You know, he had it all planned out. We, I bribed his fiance. Yeah, <laughs> sorted out some champagne and strawberries in the room. And Lovely. That that made a memory for life for him. And, and that sticks out more to you than some movie star or somebody. A, yeah. You're not bothered by any of that? No. But if you have, like, you mentioned the, the VIP service there in Shannon College and that. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody coming here to the Marriott, you know, again, a politician, a movie star, we've had a lot of them with NATO and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We've had various ministers here and that. As a hotel, do you go, right, this person is coming, you know, there's added security with those. I was in a fairly posh hotel in France a couple of years ago, and we went to drive down to the car park out of the hotel, and mm. this guy's machine is going, no, because the Russian prime minister, as it was at the time, not Putin, the other bloke, mm. so no, you can't go down there, because his car is down there. No, he's down there, but mm. his car is down there, nobody's getting in. So do you have to do, do they come with a list of sort of specifications of things that you should do with that kind of thing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> is that a pain in the backside when they do it, or is it the prestige of having them stay with you? Um, I think it kind of depends on on uh, where you work. Uh, with with the grand, they have those kind of guests coming in mm-hmm. on a daily or weekly basis. Uh, so those guys are very used to it, and they've been working for, with it for years. Um, the project managers there, 
mm. have been working there for you know, literally 20, 30 years. Um, they know exactly uh, what to expect with these guys and, and arrange all the security. And that's why it's, that's why it's got the name that it has. Yeah. Um, same with the Sheraton as well. Uh, so, but then, you know, other hotels with, you know, that would be maybe four star, three star, anything like that. If you came in with all these lists of things you had to do, it's just not viable for, yeah. for those kind of hotels because it, the, the time and everything that it takes, it's, you know, is that really going to be worth it at the end of the day? I, I don't know, to be honest with you. And that's what we're seeing a lot of now with hospitality is, you know, having a big name or anything like that is just not going to be viable for for some hotels. It's not going to weigh out the the cost of what it takes for the, the, the extra staff. The worth the squeeze is the same. Yeah, thing, when yeah. you're when you're understaffed, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Mm. Without naming any names, who's the worst guest you've ever come across? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible question. Yeah, but it has to be asked. Like, I can remember as a real example the time they came across it. You know, is there one that stands out? You know, particularly rude person or, or that kind of thing. I don't think there's any particularly particularly rude people. I think in the luxury industry, you kind of get a lot of bad ones. You could say. You reckon? Yeah. You call them the monster guests. Uh, yeah. So you you learn about good management and you know being part of the team and everything like that and good leadership. Mm. How to work together as a team. And uh, then the guest comes in and does completely the opposite of, of good management. Or they yeah. stamp their feet and they, you know, hit the table and you know say that they want to have this right now. And yeah. what is this for a place? How do you deal with them? Because like, I mean, you can't say if they're paying or somebody's paying on their behalf, somebody's paying a vast amount of money for something, and they go right, well, I want this. Is it just a case of okay? You know, the customer's always right. We say yes to everything, and then we just try to sort it out between ourselves. Or is there a limit in terms of what you'll do for them? Um, yeah, I've grown I've grown up with the guest is always right yeah. and never say no. That yeah. was always our, our policy uh, at the K-Club. I've learned that that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, that we, we have to say no to our guests, and we have to show respect for our staff as mm-hmm. well. Everybody knows somebody in hospitality. Mm-hmm. We all have family or friends who have worked in hospitality one time or another. Yeah. Would you scream or shout at your son or daughter who are standing behind the bar? Yeah. No. Well, it is. Like, I mean, it's somebody's so, child stand there. It's yeah. somebody doing a day's work for a day's wage kind yeah. of thing, you know. So exactly. You can have expectations. Of, but I do think that this, you'll see it sometimes, especially now out at Orlando, this kind of thing, that people get notions that, you yeah. know. And just, okay, if you want to blame somebody, don't blame the poor get standing there at the security check yeah. or the check-in desk. They're not the ones you yeah. know, who are responsible for all this kind exactly. of thing. You know? uh, yes, okay. <laughs> when you're standing in Orlando, you've got two kids hanging out of you and you're standing in a queue for an hour and a half, mm. uh, you're going to be stressed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Emotions are flying. Yeah. And that's what staff are trained to look after as well yeah. and to help and to do as well. But yeah, it, it, it goes on both both sides, mm. uh, to be honest with you. I have to say, I am the, well, I used to be the worst in the world up in Ireland. And now I'm just, I'm not flying at the moment, just yeah. taking a train to Oslo tomorrow just because <laughs> I can't, like I don't have the mental capacity to get through that, yeah. you know. Mm. But I do remember that, like uh, back in the day, when was it, it was sometime in the 1990s, and the Budweiser Irish Derby was being held. Mm. And we had a lot of guests there from the Middle East. Uh, injuries who just came in and they took over like whole floors mm. and they spent so much money and they they just you know they took over they treated it as if there was a house and the housekeepers had so much extra work to do because they wouldn't tidy up bathrooms yeah. mm. so. but that was the thing that like whatever they wanted you just said yes to them you know but mm. uh, I'm glad to hear that that's changed a little bit and mm. um, you recently landed back at quarter past seven on Sunday morning from Cornell University in yeah. the US mm. what in the name of God were you doing <laughs> Don't know myself. It actually was back in 2020 during the pandemic. I was on furlough, mm-hmm. um, and I was just you know trying to learn as much as possible, taking loads of online courses. Um, and uh, I was talking to a friend of mine from the industry who uh, also was ex Cornell, and she she mentioned that Cornell always have a, a scholarship available every year that you can apply for um, to go to their to do their professional development program, mm. and they've got a really good hotel school there. It's like one of the best in the world. Mm. And so I thought, yeah, I'll go for that. <laughs> I'm doing all the other courses, I'll, I'll go for that one too. Yeah. And uh, ended up getting the, the scholarship. Uh, but they were obviously 2020. 
there was no travel. Uh, so they were rethinking the course. I actually thought it was going to be virtual anyway. So yeah. why not? I'll just go for it. And uh, they said, no, we, we kind of re really value uh, the experience of being on campus as well. Mm. So, yeah, it took them a, a few years to kind of rethink about the, the, the program and how they're going to change it. And uh, it ended up being hybrid, which was the best of both worlds for me. Yeah. So I did five modules. Uh, it was uh, the professional development program in uh, hospitality leadership. Mm -hmm. So I did five modules online. Uh, learning kind of the theory of leadership, change management, um, uh, kind of financial management as well, that, that kind of thing. And then uh, I could do that all in my own time, which was great. You know, I've got two small kids at, at home, so it was fantastic just to, to, to arrange what, what times would suit me with work and everything like that and uh, take a few evenings to do that. And then uh, as long as it's all done before May, so that in June you could go to Cornell then and mm. and do this course uh, for four days. So it was four days, intensive course, uh, one module each day, mm. uh, so a different subject each and that, day. That was the only face-to-face -face aspect of the course, yeah? That was the only face-to-face -face aspect of the course, yeah. Mm. And that was yeah, hoteliers from all over the world mm. uh, that came to it, uh, but it was also, it wasn't huge. It was only nine in in my course on leadership. There was, you know, one for marketing, one for general hotel management, um, and uh, another one for uh, real estate um, investment as well. And so it was a great course. It was like you know you went into kind of the ins and outs of. Uh, hospitality management and strategy, mm -hmm. um, kind of good leadership styles and how that's changing and evolving, like what we talked about uh, today as well. Change management and how to change. Um, in our industry, we've you know we saw with the pandemic we simply had to change. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of people. You know, the initial shock of now nah, we don't need to. Do, it'll all be it'll over be by, fired, no, yeah. by the summer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And we don't need to change. We just keep doing what we're doing. And then the slow dip of, oh, no, what are we going to do? Everything's slowing down and stuff. And then once you change and moving out and getting getting the team on board, yeah. uh, or how we're going to move forward. So yeah. that was really interesting. And then doing also the financial side of looking at um, real estate and the ownership, which is very interesting for me because I've, I've come from operations mm -hmm. in hotels as a waitress, as a working in sales, you know, selling the, the, the product. So to look at the, the other end of things, at the ownership of like what it costs to actually buy a building mm -hmm. and what you have to make in return, that was really, really good for me to learn. And then uh, actually a module on sustainability. Okay, yeah. which is also just shows you how important that is now for hospitality too, mm -hmm. uh, and shows the next generation as well. Our both our staff are looking for jobs in a sustainable business, and um, uh, our guests are looking for hotels in, in you know that mm -hmm. are sustainable and actually doing their part to reduce their carbon footprint as well. Um, so I remember that the first yeah. time you saw the sticker on the mirror that says if you want your towels changed, drop them in the bath or yeah. leave them on the floor, mm -hmm. otherwise hang them up and use them again. And now that's everywhere, you know. Yeah. Where is, just from that module that you did, where is sustainability heading now? Because that's one aspect of it. Um, yeah. In terms of food waste, in mm -hmm. terms of energy, in terms of insulation, that, what, what are the kind of things that you were discussing there to make the business more sustainable going? Um, well, sustainability is kind of four main things. You've got your environmental aspect, the mm -hmm. planet. You've got the people then, uh, the social aspect. Uh, then you have the economic aspect as well, mm -hmm. uh, profit. So no, as, as much as I'd love to say that everybody will do anything they can, if you're not making a profit, they're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And also, if you're not making a profit, you're not going to have the money to reinvest into doing more sustainable initiatives. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the political aspect as well. So what are the actual rules and regulations and laws that are being changed in the country that you're in mm. um, regarding sustainability as well? So it's really, sustainability has changed. I did my thesis uh, back in 2011 um, on um, the greening of Irish hotels. And there it really was just like, like you said. That's a hell of a thesis idea. <laughs> Fair play to you. <laughs> well, I had a Swedish boyfriend, so I got in touch with Scandic hotels compared to the K-Club, for example. Good, yeah. 
um, how we can move forward. And it was, that was very much looking at, you know, towel reuse, linen reuse, mm. uh, electricity, you know, having the master switch at the door with yeah, the key yeah. card. Those simple things make a really big difference. But then now it's kind of evolved into people, social aspect. How can we be, I mean, hotels are always diverse. We've always been a diverse uh, work environment, um, but we've never been that inclusive. Like you will always see that, you know, the housekeepers, the bar, all the like really frontline staff that are that are in operations they're the most diverse mm. and then as you move up like you said you know that you know, could have got a job working in a bar because you mm. speak english there yeah. and would have never learned Swedish. no no exactly yeah <laughs> but to to be able to be inclusive as an uh, as an organization you have to move those people up through the organization mm. you have to listen to their ideas and empower them to to bring it through and bring it forward mm. um, and then you start to see okay then it's more diverse as you move up in through management and at the end of the day through uh, leadership and um, uh, ownership as well and mm. um, so that's that's what I find really exciting now with uh, hotels and I think that's also what's what the next generation is looking for for uh, a work environment as well. Mm. I mean, I even overheard a girl in, in the US who was looking at going to Cornell and she was looking at the statistics of um, how many girls they yep. uh, accept into the university versus how many boys. Mm. I never thought of that when I was going to college. Yeah, yeah. I never looked at their statistics. Okay, how diverse is this college now? What is the... What how is, many lecturers are women? Yeah. You know, how many I, people yeah. come from this or that background? Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's great to see that the next generation yeah. are looking at that, that they just won't take it if not diverse. Oh, what, what did that lead to? Is that a diploma now that you got from Cornell? Or where does this fit on your CV, so to speak? Yeah, so it's a certificate in um, strategic hospitality leadership. Okay. What the official name is. So in, in terms of the practical then, if I leave this, if I leave you in this conference room, this beautiful conference room, which is available for rent, mm. Uh, contact Marjorie Sundstrom at uh, But if I was to go out and ask the people that you work with what you're like as a boss, as a co-worker, as somebody in the hospitality industry, what do you think they'd say about you? Sorry, could you repeat If I was to ask your co-workers out here now about you as a manager, as a boss, as a leader, as a co-worker, what do you think that they would say about you? About me? Um, you don't have to be modest here. That I'm Irish. <laughs> the red hair thing says. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that, that that really is kind of our strength in hospitality is the Irishness. Uh, that the, you know, Ireland is the land of 100,000 welcomes. And uh, you know, we're, we're friendly, we're welcoming, uh, both to our guests and to our staff as well. And we're, we'll, we'll always help out. Like, you know, I was just talking to the girls there before you arrived at the reception and they were saying that, you know, it's 90% today and uh, they've got a long shift ahead of them. I just said to them, look, if you need me, I'll hop out. I can't, you know, I don't have access to the system to be checking in and out guests, but I'll take baggage, I'll do whatever just mm. to just to help, you know, talk to guests in the queue even just helps the situation a lot more. Mm. Um, and I think that, yeah, I, I hope that that's what they, they see in me as well. But, uh, you know, always, always willing to help. Mm. Um, Is that unusual, Major? Because I have to say, I've found in 23 odd years in Sweden that, the idea of service, and I agree with you 100%, mm. right? Like, I remember being in juries, and at that time you could still smoke indoors. So this is back in the dark ages, like, you know? And I remember a guy asking me one day, he said, when is an ashtray full? And mm -hmm. I was thinking, this is the weirdest question I've ever been asked in my life. I said, okay. He said, an ashtray is full when there's one butt in the ashtray. Because if that person leaves and another person comes and sits down, mm. that table's dirty. Mm. And I said, that's the kind of thing that you have to think of. Everything, when somebody's coming into your place for the first time, and the same thing as being seen. Like, as soon as I walked in the door here, the two girls in the reception were looking at me. They weren't looking, you know, they weren't trying to find a way not to mm. talk to me. They were saying, okay, you know, I don't know if they knew I was going, whatever. Mm. But that to me is the exception and not the rule here. I was in a hotel, well, I won't even mention the place, you know, uh, but it was just back in May and I went in there and I arrived there at eight o'clock in the evening and I said, do you have a restaurant? And the person almost laughed at me and said, we haven't had a restaurant for years. I said, okay, <laughs> you probably shouldn't be proud of that fact and maybe you might recommend somewhere that it does. So do you find that like, you know, working in a place like Marriott at a slightly higher end, is that unusual, the level of service that you try to offer? Um. I would say no, because I think that no matter where you where you work, if it's a hostel or a B and B or a five star hotel, 
you should always have the same standard of service. Okay, uh, no, mm-hmm. I get that. But mm-hmm. do you feel that you get that? Say when you and your mm-hmm. husband and your kids go yeah. away, do you feel yeah. that, okay, like if you go to a hotel in Lulio or a yeah. hotel in mm-hmm. Copenhagen, yeah. do you feel that level of the service oh. is the same as it would be at the K Club is what I mean? Um, yeah, I think it does vary. <laughs> I think, I think it varies. <laughs> it's very diplomatic. Yeah, I think it varies even when I'm... Compared to Swedish Swedish level of service and the Irish level of service and mm. the American level of service, for example, mm. it it depends on the culture as well that you're in, yeah. um, and I think the guests also have to understand that as well. Uh, of course, we as the, the the staff also need to to understand the different cultures of our guests uh, too. But um, yeah, I yeah I do get quite irritated if it is poor service because I feel that. It's, it's quite simple, like you say, just to be seen, just to look up and make that eye contact. It's just so, it's simple things that just make great service. Mm-hmm. You seem yeah. to have this burning, idea. like, I mean, it goes back to, you seem to me to be somebody who wants to, wants to make other pe- people feel comfortable. Right? It's a key part of hospitality. When you couldn't do anything during the pandemic, you went and studied to become better. You know, When you t- took on these jobs, you didn't take criticism as being personal. You went, okay, I'm going to improve here. Mm-hmm. right? Um, where do your ambitions lie? Okay, You're the sales manager here at this wonderful hotel, one mm-hmm. of the biggest and best in Stockholm, if not Sweden. Where do you want to be in sort of 5 or 10 or 15 years' time? Um, well, I'd definitely like to be uh, in a company like... Marriott that is international um, and it definitely feel like a sense of belonging here at Courtyard but you we believe that passion brings us forward in the world mm. um, both for our guests and our staff so if our if our team here really believe and are passionate about something they can really bring it forward mm. um, and that's so that's what I hope you know in five years that I'll, I'll still be here and we'll have some great initiatives like even here since September I'm not even here a year yet mm-hmm. and we've already initiated some fantastic initiatives here um, we have like our um, I don't know if you saw we have a, a body scrub down in the shop there that's from, from our coffee grounds oh, wow. uh, in the hotel so we save our coffee grounds and we work together with a local startup that dry it and um, uh, make it into a body scrub so we resell it here in the in the hotel and we use it as little giveaways or you know little VIP gifts in the rooms yeah. cool. and it's sustainable as well so it's not in a plastic jar it's in mm. a glass jar yeah. and it's uh, reusing our coffee grounds here in the hotel so simple things like that is what yeah really like get me excited they're, they're kind of infinite as well right? yeah. there's always those small little things that you can do you know? yeah yeah like one last final question yeah. sell me Stockholm why should I want to come now, this is for everybody who doesn't live in Stockholm, but yeah. they always complain that this, uh, or that they don't always complain. Some mm-hmm. people say it's too Stockholm-centric. If you haven't been to Stockholm, why should you come here? Why should you stay at the Marriott and enjoy the hospitality here? Uh, what's unique about Stockholm is that it is uh, islands, uh, made up of islands, and it's uh, right on the water. So no matter where you go, you're kind of five minutes walk away from the glistening water, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe is what's truly special about Stockholm and the Swedish culture is... Uh, having nature so close to you as well uh, that you can go out on a kayak and explore the whole of Stockholm by boat mm-hmm. um, you can uh, go for a walk we've got the park out, out here right on our doorstep we've also got the skateboard park as well so that's kind of the urban and the rural put together uh, side by side which I love or you can go out by Tiresa where I live and it's like 30 minutes away and you've got Tiresa National Park which is one of the largest uh, national parks and you've got gorgeous nature you walk over by a lake and just meditate or uh, go for a run I think that's what's truly special about Sweden we have this Allemansrätter as well in Sweden that everybody everyone's right so everybody has a right to the forest here Mm. you go out you probably take it for granted now when you've been in Sweden for so long but just enjoying all four seasons now the summertime everyone's going to go off to the country houses Mm. pick blueberries in the in the forest pick lingonberries mm-hmm. then in the autumn time go find your chanterelles oh, yeah. in the winter time go cross country skiing yeah. um, that for Swedes is normal yeah. they kind of take it for granted if I go to China and I talk to a, a travel agent about going into the forest and picking blueberries they're like can we arrange that for our guests? <laughs> they just think it's the, that, that's like <laughs> the, show up. that's like the most luxury experience you could have mm. It's a freedom uh, to just move around and do stuff in nature and yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. And um, I think we do take that for granted, that, that that's a unique selling point yeah. that we need to communicate more. Last but not least, for any young person coming over here, or for any young redhead who may have just met some young friend in, the bar in <laughs> Dublin, in order to get started in the hospitality industry here at a low level, is it possible to come over here and work in a bar, work in housekeeping, or to sort of climb the hospitality ladder slightly differently to what you did? Or is the language the thing that they need to concentrate on from day one, would you think? Um, I definitely I definitely say to, to focus on the language. It was a surprise to me as well, uh, mm. to be honest with you. When I was moving here, I thought, well, all the Swedes can speak English. Mm. Um, but I definitely say to, to learn Swedish, at least to have an understanding. Mm. Um, because uh, just being able to communicate with the staff as well internally and be part of the work culture and the work environment, it's... It's good to have both the Swedish and the English. Um, I know a lot of our team here speak English as their first language too, um, so or Spanish even as well. So when we go to the to the canteen, it's just this wonderful uh, kind of sound of a mix of languages. Is I think it's great. Um, so I definitely think that the the language is the first thing. Um, also building your community, so building your network finding a mentor who can coach you and kind of teach you about the the trends here um yeah reach out to me if anybody's looking to work in oh, hospitality Jesus, your Send me. Inbox now. Oh. Oh, well, i mean i have a, i actually have a community here called uh, rise up um it's a global hospitality community for mm-hmm. hospitality travel and technology um and I run the, the Swedish chapter uh, oh. together with uh, actually an English woman, Evelyn, uh, who um, is moved to Sweden 10 years ago as well. So it's a similar time to me. <laughs> and who, who is that for? Is that aimed at pretty much everybody involved in the industry here in Sweden? Yeah? Anyone who wants to work in the industry or anybody who's interested or somehow linked to the industry mm-hmm. uh, to create a truly inclusive community. Um, because that's what we've seen, that there's been a lot of people who can't maybe... Can't yet, I'm throwing in Swedish. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But um, maybe haven't learned the language mm. um, and are finding it difficult to get a job here. Yeah. So then we can see that and we can go, okay, who can we connect you to to help you learn Swedish or to help you learn Swedish specifically to hospitality mm. um, so that we can we can help create a more inclusive and diverse environment mm. uh, here in Sweden. I suppose after the path that you've taken, anything that you can do to help speed things up for other people seems to be the purpose of it, right? Yeah. One very final question, and I don't want you giving away any commercial secrets here, <laughs> but will the Swedish Irish Society Christmas dinner be here in the Marriott in 2022, do you think? Oh, I will. There's been no I formal think... approach yet. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> we, we leave it at that. We don't want to influence any discussions. I would say keep an eye on the newsletter and you'll be seeing that now and Maybe the autumn or something like that. Splendid. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Phil. Good morning, madam. Can I help you? Are you the manager? I am the owner, madam. What? I am the owner. I want to speak to the manager. I am the manager too. What? I am the manager as well. Manager, he manager. You're what? I'm the manager. What? I'm the manager. Yes, I know. You've just told me. What's the matter with you? Now listen to me. I booked a room with a bath. When I book a room with a bath, I expect to get a bath. You've got a bath. I'm not paying £7.20 per night plus VAT for a room without a bath. Where is your bath? You call that a bath? It's not big enough to drown a mouse. It's disgraceful. I wish you were a mouse on (laughs) your And another thing. I asked for a room with a view. Deaf, mad, and blind. Uh, this is the view as far as I can remember, madam. Yes, yes, this is it. When I pay for a view, I expect something more interesting than that. That is Torquay, madam. No, it's not good enough. Well, may I ask what you were expecting to see out of a Torquay hotel bedroom window? <laughs> Sydney Opera House, perhaps? The hanging gardens of Babylon? Herds of wildebeest sweeping majestically? <laughs> I expect to be able to see the sea. You can see the sea. It's over there between the land and the sky. I need a telescope to see that. Well, may I suggest that you consider moving to a hotel closer to the sea? Or preferably in it. There you go. What they don't teach you about international hotel management at Cornell University from... Uh, the legendary faulty towers there. I mean, I think that kind of gave us all um, a little bit of a... 
a taste of the things that go on behind the scenes as, as anybody who works in hospitality or in the hotel business or in restaurants or bars will tell you the, the amount of stories you come out with the amount of mad things that just happen and they just keep happening I think I started working in pubs when I was about 12 or 13 years of age and the things you'll see and the things that people say and the things they do just bananas altogether. that is nearly the end of the podcast for this week there will be one next week provided I can catch up with a very busy woman who has a very interesting story to tell uh, that spans the whole globe and has a place plenty of Swedish Irish influence in there as well so I'll be back with you then next week um take a little bit of time I was actually talking to um a friend of mine in America right this guy is a hugely successful guy right makes a bleeding fortune talking in the media business and making like a million dollars or two million dollars a year right and I've always had this thing like I mentioned I started working when I was 12 or 13 years of age like go go work work when there's money there go and make it and that kind of thing and in Sweden here ladies and gentlemen the things are set up differently right take the time Take the three or four weeks off. Find a boat. Go out on it. Get a summer house. Find somewhere to go. That kind of thing. Make the most of it because be Jesus, it'll be dark enough and cold enough, long enough, you know. And I'm hoping at some point that I'll get a bit of sense during the summer and that uh, I'll be able to take a little bit of time off and enjoy my family, which I probably haven't been the best at myself. But uh, it's never too late to start doing those things, even if, like Marjorie or somebody who is very conscientious and takes their job very seriously and puts the comfort and the enjoyment of others above yourself, like, you know, take that time for yourselves anyway. So I hope you find that somewhere along the line this summer. And uh, I don't know, you know, we'll try to keep entertaining you as we go. But in the meantime, look after yourselves, look after one another. Uh, drive carefully out there. Don't be having a few gaggles of driving out there in the summer highways because you lose your driver's license and you might lose an awful lot more. So behave yourselves out there. Uh, take care of one another, take care of yourselves, and I'll be in touch again very soon indeed. <laughs> <laughs>